When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello there, friends, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you are listening to episode 148 of the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast. On today's show, I am bringing you an interview with Laura Diaz. Laura is the host of EcoChic, a lifestyle podcast for the eco-conscious. And Laura and I today are discussing all things imperfect part-time veganism. We're discussing why part-time veganism might be right for you and your family, and we're also discussing how exactly to go about being a part-time plant-based food lover. Now, if after today's show you need a little bit more Stephanie in your life, you can head on over to EcoChic because Laura interviewed me as well. I'm on EcoChic discussing all things sustainable minimalism, so check that out if you're interested. After the show, I am bringing you an eco tip and I am bringing you the results of last week's very informal poll. I want to thank all of you who took the time to reach out to me. I'll bring you all of that after the interview. Enjoy. Laura, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. There is nothing better in my life than talking to fellow podcast hosts. So I'm so happy to have you on the show. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me. I am honored and I'm really excited to be here. I'm doing really, really well. I am just chugging along in this new normal. How are you? Thank you for asking. I'm doing pretty well. I am willing to bet that some of my listeners listen to your show, so they are probably excited to hear two of their frequented podcast hosts talking together today. And I'm really excited that we got to connect because you also host a podcast that is sustainability focused. So I want to talk to you about your podcast, but what really interests me about your perspective is that you have a background in climate science. Is that right? Yes. Yes, that's correct. Okay. So my number one most pressing question for you today is, how did a science degree in climate science translate into hosting a podcast? That's an excellent question. Thank you so much for asking. And quite frankly, I don't know what I would be doing with all of my time if I was not hosting this podcast. I think that climate change is a topic that is inherently very anxiety-inducing sometimes. It's very isolating and it gets people nervous. And so I think that having climate change resources that are accessible and friendly are incredibly important in our 
climate crusade, let's call it, in our fight for climate action. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have reasonable science and science that is accessible to people and that people can actually understand, they're not going to be taking up those same values and viewpoints and fighting for those same things. So Eco Chic is a climate-focused, eco-conscious lifestyle podcast. So just like a lot of other podcasts, I'm interested in fashion and skincare and normal things that women like to hear about but all through an environmental lens. So how can we make sure our fashion choices are eco-conscious or our dietary choices are eco-conscious? And how can we really normalize that perspective and normalize that environmental lens on all of our lifestyles? Because nothing operates in a vacuum. You know, Whether or not you're thinking about it, you are impacting the climate and the environment in some way. So EcoChic really came to be while I was in graduate school, like you mentioned, for climate science and solutions. And I felt as though there was a disconnect between the academic world of climate scientists. About three years ago, there was still this very ivory tower type doom and gloom conversation around climate change of, we only have eight years left and we have to get ourselves together. And then on the flip side, social media was a lot of very extreme zero wasters. And I really didn't feel like I found myself represented in either space. So that's how EcoSheet came to be. Well, I'm glad you brought up the zero wasters because one of the aspects of your show and your platform that I really am drawn to is that it's not a militant feel to eco-chic. It's, you know, you do what you can in the season of life you're in. And I think that's so important because although (laughs) we may only have eight years, the fact is that so many people are not going to get on board with environmentally friendly behaviors if it's black or white, right or wrong. There has to be a middle ground. That's what I believe. And I think, to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's what you believe too. That's exactly what I believe. And I think the other really important thing to emphasize when it comes to sustainable living is that people come to it for different reasons. So maybe you are choosing to live more plastic-free for your health or for your neighborhood if you have a lot of water pollution problems. And like people come to these eco-conscious lifestyle choices maybe for budgetary reasons or whatever else it may be. So recognizing that not everyone has the same exact values and reasons to coming to this lifestyle is important because there's not one way to be an environmentalist. There's not one way to be, you know, think about like motherhood, you know, the motherhood police. I can't imagine the, you know, there's not one way to be a good mother. There's not one good way to be an environmentalist, like do what works for you. And however you get to it is fine. Well, we are going to take that incremental approach one step further in our conversation today, because I really am dying to talk to you about what you call part-time veganism. And (laughs) before we even get there, I just have to say I am a little bit nervous (laughs) talking about this with you because I'm still scarred from, I guess it was three years ago now, my first one-star review on the podcast, my podcast got its first one-star review from a vegan who got mad at my guest for mentioning eating chicken. I'm not even joking. And so from then on, you know, I was a young podcast. I had a one-star review. I cried my eyes out for a few days, probably. And from then on, I just really stayed away from the topic because I didn't want to upset anybody. But we're going to talk about part-time veganism today and why eating less meat 
most of the time (laughs) is a really powerful way to help the planet. So talk to me about that. What is part-time veganism for you? I am so glad that you brought this up. And I have to say that I feel very similarly to you. This is a controversial opinion, and this is an unpopular opinion that you can be a part-time vegan. And I think that is sometimes misconstrued because veganism includes a lot of things. It also has to do with not just your food choices, but the products that you're buying or uh, the clothing that you're purchasing. If you're doing leather, if you are acquiring uh, makeup products that were tested on animals, whatever it may be. So there's a lot of aspects of veganism that go beyond just what you eat. And I would like to say that the same way we thought about people coming to environmentalism for different reasons. People come to veganism for different reasons. It could be because the vegan lifestyle is more accessible from a financial perspective for some people. It could be because of their health, uh, cholesterol. So whatever it is, whatever works for you, that's totally fine with me. The goal is to get everyone to eat a little bit less meat. We don't need a million perfect vegans. We need 5 million imperfect vegans. So when we think about animal agriculture, it makes up an incredibly significant portion of the greenhouse gas emissions that are accountable for human-induced climate change. So that's a heavy conversation to start with, but I believe that the best way to think about vegan lifestyles and food choices in general, more plant-based lifestyles, is recognizing that your food choices are the most direct impact that you can have on the planet. In fact, one of my favorite organizations, one of my favorite research bodies is Project Drawdown. Drawdown is a Um, an organization that particularly takes research that is up and coming or new and makes it digestible. It puts these research solutions when it comes to climate change into financial means, and it ranks solutions based on what is the most accessible and the most impactful when it comes to solving our climate change issue. And out of 100 solutions of all of the things we can do from electric vehicles to composting, Plant-based diets is actually the number three most impactful solution that humans can have on climate change. So when it comes to animal agriculture, I think one of my favorite stats is that to produce one pound of beef, it takes the water equivalent to six months of showers, which is a really, really interesting statistic because I think it's a good way to visualize it for a lot of people. Just thinking about eating lower in the food chain, you are inherently just using less resources. You're using less water, less land, less energy to keep those particular plants or animals alive, whatever it may be. So thinking about how you can eat closer to eat closer to plants, I think is a really easy way to look at it. Well, I love that you gave a science-backed response. I mean, you are the scientist here. <laughs> because I talk a lot about buying less or relying less on plastic or using less water, wasting less water. But the facts, science tells us that the number one most impactful thing we can do for the planet is to eat no meat or eat less meat. But that's the thing, though, right? Like food is a very personal thing. And people tend to get really sensitive when they feel as though they're food choices are criticized. So why do you think it's important that we talk about it anyway? On this show, I'm going to get those one-star reviews, but why do you think it's important to do it anyway? I think that talking about food is incredibly personal. It's probably the most significant 
think about it, budgetary thing that you are acquiring every month. It's the regular shopping habits that you have. Thinking more deeply about where your dollars are going really does feed into what you're putting on your plate. And when you are thinking about lowering your impact, I think what we touched on earlier about imperfect environmentalism, I think taking that same approach to veganism is important because if we are telling people that what they're doing isn't good enough, what are the chances that they're going to want to continue to try and please us, you know, the extreme, perfect, plant-based lifestyle people? Uh, I think making sure that you can meet people in the middle is important because in any conversation, especially when it comes to climate change or um, anything that really challenges someone's values, telling them that they're wrong is not really going to get you as far as telling them, okay, I recognize what you're doing and maybe we can find a compromise. When we talk about food and food choices, we really can't have that discussion without first discussing privilege surrounding having food choices. So I know on your show, you had discussed food deserts. Can you just explain to my listeners quickly what on earth a food desert is and why when we're talking about cutting out meat, it actually assumes a hefty amount of privilege? I am so, so glad that you brought this up because I think that the privilege conversation and the angle of privilege gets taken out of veganism and vegan activism a lot of the time. So a food desert, to answer your first question, is the concept that there's a particular neighborhood that just doesn't have supermarket choices, doesn't have fresh food options. And this sounds like a very far off, middle of nowhere type problem, but it actually happens a lot more often and more commonly than you would think in a lot of metro areas across the country and I would assume across the world. So it is a neighborhood, I believe it's usually like a 10 mile radius that has no fresh food options. So the people in those neighborhoods have to purchase their meals perhaps at small box stores, so that's like a dollar store, or gas stations that might have a fruit bowl, and that is the only opportunity to receive fresh ingredients. So that's a food desert. It does happen a lot more often than people would think, unfortunately. And there are a lot of really great documentaries on Netflix. I, I would assume on YouTube that you could find also on food deserts. I remember I watched one maybe 10 years ago that taught me what a food desert was, and it always really stuck with me, the concept that there are entire communities that do all of their grocery shopping at a gas station or at one of those 7-Eleven quick store type um, establishments. So recognizing that that's important. And then when we talk about privilege, I think the veganism conversation assumes a certain level of access as well. So even thinking about things like package-free shopping, that assumes that you have a high-end grocery store in your neighborhood that has those opportunities for you to bring your own bags. And it also assumes that you have the time to go home and pour your bags into your beautiful little mason jars. So that same privilege is something that you can think about when it comes to veganism. When we talk about plant-based meat alternatives, the vast majority of lower-end or lower-income grocery stores do not have those meat alternatives, quite simply because perhaps the cultural... The cultural moment hasn't permeated those stores yet. When we think about places like Whole Foods or other high-end grocery stores, you think about these big, beautiful refrigerators full of dairy alternatives, and you go to a grocery store in a lower-income neighborhood, and you have dairy milk. So thinking about what kind of access these neighborhoods have 
prevents a lot of vegan choices sometimes. So I think there's also this conversation that veganism can be expensive, and it certainly can, especially when you're buying into those meat alternatives. So recognizing that also not everyone wants to live this way. Not everyone wants to spend their money on vegan alternatives or on plant-based alternatives. Recognizing that not everyone wants to eat rice and beans for every single meal. Recognizing that there is also a privilege in believing that everyone should live the same exact way that you do. So I think there's a lot to unpack there. I think also the vegan conversation oftentimes leaves out communities that have been living plant-based lifestyles for a really long time. There are communities around the world that have chosen plant-based diets or have participated in plant-based diets for financial reasons, for budgetary reasons, not because they have the privilege to say, I'm going to back away from my current carnivorous alternative lifestyle. Um, There's a certain amount of privilege in just believing that you have financial choice in your grocery habits. I think that was a lot to to throw on you. So I'm sorry if that was too much. (laughs) No, that's perfect. And it just makes me think that, yeah, totally. Veganism and plant-based eating has been around for thousands and thousands of years. And here we are (laughs) in America touting veganism as like this new cool thing that is accessible for everyone when that's absolutely not true. (laughs) Right. I think there's also this, this thought that we are this this white savior complex also we're hearing a lot about now and this concept that like if our american culture just buys into plant-based diets we can solve all the problems of the world and that's not the case it definitely helps when it comes to climate change and it definitely helps when it comes to alleviating some of the pressures on the animal agriculture industry but white saviorism is also really toxic it's hard to believe that everyone should live the same way that you do it's hard to believe that you are going to solve all of these problems of the world just with your plate, but the plate is a really good place to start. So walk me through your dietary habit. (laughs) What does part-time veganism look like for you in your own life? I like to call my diet vegan at home. I really came to a plant-based lifestyle because of my attempt to cut out plastic. So as I was trying to lower my waist as much as possible, I started looking at the things I was buying at the grocery store and cutting out as much as I can when it comes to packaged foods. And a lot of that happened to be animal products. When I think about part-time veganism, I think about eating things in their most pure form. So I really do just attempt to keep my animal products at a minimum when it comes to my house. And I think giving myself that freedom If I'm out of my house and I really am itching to like order something at a restaurant that has an animal product, I'm not going to stress about it because I'm like, you know what? I was pretty good five days this week. Maybe I'll let myself have this, you know, sandwich with mayonnaise on it, you know, things like that. So my day-to-day habits, I love a dairy-free yogurt, but my mornings are usually an overnight oats. I love overnight oats. And um, they're pretty easy to make and all of the ingredients I can find package free and I'll top it with uh, if there are some organic berries available or an apple. That's always a package free item that I like to keep on hand. And then I'll usually do some sort of like stir fry meal around lunchtime also with things that I can find package free. So like um, rice and vegetables and just thinking about filling my meals with more plants. I think that's really where I am. Um, Like I said, I love a dairy-free yogurt in the afternoon. And I get really into these um, 
like curry recipes or I love to I love to just experiment in the kitchen. I'm someone who just really enjoys like the ritual of making food, not necessarily having crazy recipes, but uh, I like the ritual of like chopping things and putting new ingredients together. So I try to just think about my day-to-day habits and my day-to-day meals as how can I add more plants into this? And then I don't necessarily feel like I'm missing out on anything. I think there's also this assumption that if you're eating plant-based, you are cutting something out or you're giving something up. But just telling yourself or going about it in the sense of like, I am adding something to my diet or I am contributing more heavily to this particular meal or filling it with more things, that completely shifts that mindset. Hmm. Yeah. I love how you mentioned you're a vegan at home. I forgot the... I forgot the exact term you used. What was it? <laughs> yeah, no, that's what I say, vegan at home. And I think that's a little controversial for some people because a lot of a lot of people come into veganism for animal rights issues. And I think that's, a like we said, people come to these lifestyle changes for different reasons. And a lot of it is just like you should never allow an animal to go through these horrific animal agriculture conditions or these really unethical processes that allow animals to be really products of the food industry. And I agree with that. I think that animal agriculture is awful and we need a major overhaul of the system, especially in America. But I think that telling people today is the day that you need to change your entire life and your entire buying habits, that's really hard. And I think it's also really hard for people to recognize that there's a lot of animal products you don't know about. Like I just recently mentioned mayonnaise. Um, I mean, honestly, before I was thinking about plant-based diets, it didn't really occur to me that mayonnaise was a an animal byproduct. So I think the education portion of veganism is also really intimidating. So giving yourself that grace and saying, you know what, if I mess up sometimes, it's okay. Mm. I'll get better. I'll, I'll do better next time. Yeah. Like 100% of the time, veganism is preferred, right? But for so many people, that is just inaccessible currently for a variety of reasons. I personally love to follow the 80-20 rule with everything, not just with my diet, but anything in life. So when we talk about eating, 80% of the time, if 80% of the time in a given week or 80% of my meals for a given week are completely plant-based, I'm happy with that. And then those extra 20, that other 20, if there's a little bit of dairy in there, I'm not a meat eater, but if there's some dairy in there, I'm not going to shame myself about it because I'm doing pretty good, right? Like flip the switch. Um, think about what you're doing right. So I want to ask you the number one question that my listeners ask me when it comes to transitioning a family to a more plant-based diet. And that is what on earth do you do if you have a reluctant partner or reluctant or picky eater children? Do you have any suggestions for listeners in that boat? That's an awesome question because that's one that I get asked a lot too. And I like to go about a lot of lifestyle changes with this mindset of leading by example. And again, like we touched on earlier, you don't necessarily want to tell anyone that they're wrong for their habits or that you are challenging their values in some way. But presenting your lifestyle in the most positive way that you can, it's really about leading by example. So it's saying like, oh, wow, I found this incredible recipe that calls for almond milk because of this particular reason. Or, wow, I just found this new brand of 
plant-based chicken nuggets that I couldn't wait to try. And like, do you want to try one? And I think going about those conversations with this open mind is really important. I think it does come a lot trickier when you're dealing with children or picky eaters or a very picky partner. And you might be met with some resistance. I don't want to say it's all sunshine and rainbows all the time, but making sure that you're also leading with that mindset of adding plants into the meal. So it's another really nice thing about eating a lot of vegetables or eating a lot of other plant-based foods. It's really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It, It adds volume. Like you're thinking about how can I pack this curry with as much vegetables as I can that you don't even miss the chicken? Or how can I dress this pizza as beautifully as I can and just like happen to add vegan cheese? And again, just slowly working those plant-based options into your lifestyle in a way that is not necessarily a red flag saying, here I am trying to convert my whole family to veganism. It's really just about little steps leading by example and I honestly, I, I take the approach of not always saying that a particular meal is vegan. I think that there is no greater compliment than making something for my friends or my family that is completely vegan or a plant-based meal and everyone enjoys it and no one says anything about missing the chicken or whatever else it may be. Hmm. What are your thoughts on soy-based fake meats? <laughs> not tofu, obviously, but um, in the past 10 years, I've seen grocery stores explode with these fake meat alternatives. What are your thoughts on some listeners who are maybe at a place where they just want to replace one meat-filled dinner a week with a plant-based one? Should they be embracing the substitutes or not so much? What do you think? I think the substitutes are an awesome place to start. Quite frankly, I'm glad you brought it up because it's never been a better time to be a vegan or to attempt a plant-based diet or try and convert your family because we do have so many great alternatives on the market. And honestly, they taste good. I don't really feel as though when I'm biting into a, we can use the example again of a vegan chicken nugget, I don't really feel like I miss anything because I think they're done really well in 2020. And I am of the I'm of the belief that like if you can replace one meal a week, that is incredibly impactful. I believe the stat is if a family of four is replacing one meal a week, it is taking out the driving equivalent of going from Los Angeles to New York City in one year's worth of carbon emissions from your meals. I think that's the stat. Please fact check me if I'm wrong, but it's really, really impactful to just replace one meal a week. I think there's no better time to do it than the present. And I also think that there is a little bit of controversy around the emissions associated with plant-based meat alternatives. A lot of people think, oh, because it's not actually a plant, it's still emitting carbon or it's still responsible for some significant portion of greenhouse gas emissions. And it is going to be a bigger emitter than just having a vegetable on your plate, but recognizing that whatever you're choosing is a lesser impact on the planet than the animal alternative. Right. That's a great point. And it makes me think about how all these substitutes are grossly overpackaged, right? There's the the plastic, there's oh, yeah. the box. And so, I mean, if we really wanted to get into the weeds, we could then talk about the the disposable packaging. But I would agree with you that if substitutes are where you are at or where your family is at, then 
I say go for them as as your first step to cutting out meat. I would absolutely agree with that. And I also think that plant-based alternatives, even just looking at something like a block of tofu, there is so much being done in mainstream media, on YouTube, on Instagram, wherever it is that you're watching those quick little cooking videos, there's so much that's being done with plant-based alternatives that I have to say that I feel like it's never been a more exciting time. There used to be this stigma that if you were going to eat plant-based, you could only eat vegetables. And we don't really live in that world anymore. So making sure that you're remembering that you're not necessarily giving anything up in this day and age. Hmm. Do you have a go-to blog or a go-to cookbook or I know you said you like to experiment in the kitchen but I'm willing to bet that some listeners are like me and they do not like to experiment they just want a foolproof recipe that they know is going to taste good when it's <laughs> when it's all done so just putting you on the spot here do you have any tried and true cookbooks or resources for those of us who don't like so much to experiment in the kitchen Yes, I'm going to go ahead and suggest two YouTube channels. I think that I'm someone who I love watching Food Network, like whether or not I'm making the particular meal that they're showing on the on the screen. I just really enjoy cooking videos. Uh, I really like Nikki Vegan on YouTube. She is a young woman in California. She makes vegan meals for one, but she does a lot of really great meals across the board. So she does breakfast, she does desserts, she does true meals, and they're all incredibly quick. Like I have to say, a handful of ingredients. A lot of her videos are like less than 15 minutes. I have to recommend that if you are just attempting to get into vegan cooking. And then if you're interested in more experimental vegan cooking, The Edgy Veg is a YouTube channel that I also really recommend. She does some incredible like recreations of things like, how do I make fried chicken out of tofu? Or how do I make this particular viral donut recipe or things like that? She recreates a lot of really cool mainstream trends in food with vegan alternatives. So there are two opportunities wherever on the spectrum you are. Hmm. I think that's a great place to leave it. Laura, tell my listeners where they can find you and your podcast online. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Stephanie. I am online on Instagram at EcoChicPodcast. I am on all the social platforms also at EcoChicPodcast. EcoChic is available wherever you listen to podcasts, so iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Public Radio, wherever you get your shows. And um, and, and that's it for me. You can also email me. My email is always in all of the show notes to my episodes because some people prefer to contact me via email. I want to thank you so much, Laura, for coming on the show. This was such a refreshing conversation and I look forward to continuing to listen to EcoChic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I so hope you enjoyed that interview with Laura Diaz, host of EcoChic Podcast. I have linked to her show in this week's show notes for you to go check out and fall in love with. Now to the results of last week's informal poll. Thank you so much to all of you who had written to me, taken that time out of your busy days to write to me. The results were overwhelmingly for advertisements and against paid membership. So thank you. I have my information. It has saved me from creating a membership site, and I appreciate you. 
This week's eco tip comes from Suzanne. Suzanne was that lovely listener who sent me nine amazing eco tips. I'm going to give you another one of hers today. Suzanne wrote and said that she uses sponges in her kitchen, but to extend the lives of her sponges, she cuts them in half when they're brand new. So cutting them in half gives you two sponges. I will also say that although I no longer rely on sponges, when I did, once in a while, I would put them in the dishwasher as a way of sanitizing them to extend their lives. On next week's show, I am bringing you the second annual 2020 Green Gift Guide, where I am suggesting 10 of my personal favorite eco-friendly products on the market just in time for the holidays. Now, even better this year is I am talking the talk and walking the walk because I have specifically picked small businesses to support this year with the Green Gift Guide. So take a listen then. I will see you then. Have an amazing week. Stay home, stay healthy, and take care, my friends.